Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Green Magic, Green Medicine with your host, Miss Susan Weed. We will be right back after this. Our subject for these last couple weeks has been the effects of darkness and light on the human psyche, stress, healing, all of those things. We will be right back in a moment. Forbidden Archaeology Forgotten History Divination Magic Cryptozoology UFOs Nature Science and Spirit All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network like you are having a great time and wonderful time to reminisce and to uh, remember things and think about all the things that have uh, been in the past and the people that have been in the past as the 
veil between the world thins. Time for the Day of the Dead. Time to honor the ancestors, eh? Yes. When the veil thin, it's now and then back in Bielshina in the spring. So I always love this time of year, and it cools down a little bit, and I kind of like it when things are a little colder. I'm sometimes unusual that way, but that's kind of how I like it. <laughs> well, that colder on a farm means that you have to look at how much you've grown, how much in terms of hay, how much fodder, how much in terms of um, corn and grain, and how many animals can you keep healthy over the winter time? And one of the reasons that this time, as it grows colder, is the time of the Day of the Dead. Is this is when, on the farm, you give death. Mm. And so that veil of the world thinning, this is the time when we all look at death, look at our own death, come face to face with it. I went out to the area where my barn burned and where all of my goats burned. And there were pumpkin vines growing there. And the barn burned at the end of June, so the pumpkin vines didn't start growing until the beginning of July. And that didn't give them quite enough time to do anything other than set fruit. Some of the fruit, um, you know, bigger than than my fist, uh, but no really big fruits, and all green. Hmm. And... It made sense to me that I could eat them green. After all, you know, it's in the family with cucumbers and zucchinis and other things that we eat small and green. And um, so I made a soup with those. And with a a ripe one of those uh, pumpkins, they're not not the big orange pumpkins, they're the smaller uh, pumpkins that um, are grown because the flesh is a little bit sweeter than the big orange pumpkins. And I called it the soup of the dead. And I truly <laughs> felt as though I were eating the bones of my guts. Mm. I really felt how I was being part of the cycle of life and death here by consuming the fruit of a plant that grew in the place where there was destruction and death. And that by reaching out to that and accepting that and accepting my place in that cycle, because I think that's what the Day of the Dead is really about, is that we say, yes, I'm in this cycle too. I am not apart from it. I'm not something that will go on forever. And I, I... have a friend who's six years old, and her costume for Halloween is a sugar skull. Hmm. Have you seen those? No. They're quite popular in Mexico and places that celebrate the Day of the Dead, which is November 1st. And one of the candies. Oh, okay. I do know what you're talking about now. Yes. So it's made out of sugar. Yes. The little white skulls. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way, and it's kind of a macabre thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 
to have a candy that looks like a skull. And at the same time, we also think back to, uh, we know that there were <clears throat> indeed, and that we had, you know, I don't think they're in existence now, but that there were um, groups of people who, when someone died, their heirs ate their brain. Okay. There are places where when someone died, the body would be buried and then dug up and then the bones buried under the house where the people lived to protect them. And this can vary vastly from culture to culture. How familiar were we were willing to be with death? And in some cultures, you're never allowed to mention the name of the dead person for fear that you will disturb their spirit. <clears throat> in others, you're encouraged to talk about them. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy, like in New Orleans, for example, where I was this last year, I like the idea of accepting it almost with revelry as well as respect and as well as with quietness, depending on what the occasion calls for. Like the the idea of dancing in the streets. You're not celebrating their death, you're celebrating the wonderful person you remembered. You know, and you're you're with you're making a big noise in the street with trumpets and drums and singing and partying and all that that goes along with it. And I, I always liked that idea of how to uh, think about that. Now, of course, you're going to have your quiet time when you're very sad. That's going to happen. It's natural, and of course, human nature. But I like the idea of it, of it, of celebrating it in that fashion. Yes, celebrating the wonderful person that they were, and your wonderful memories, and celebrating life, which goes on, mm-hmm. which is the celebration in okay. which we can be helped to move forward by taking time for the dead. This is the time when the fairies go back in the mountain. And I wonder, does the mountain go straight to the earth and then they have to they go in the mountain here and they have to come out of the mountain in Australia? <laughs> I'm not sure. Just having no time off, or do they have like... Different fairies for Down Under. I wonder if there's a fairy union to see to that. <laughs> they get a little break, like a week, a two-week vacation. <laughs> 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 so they don't, I don't think they trade in money, though, like we do. So they, do they, they, they like shiny things. <laughs> they, they do, they do. <laughs> in a different yeah. way than we do. <laughs> And I think of how, along with the death and giving death to animals here, as we move into the cold weather, how the plants also look like they're dying. And how that means that the energy often is going down to the roots. Yes, some of them really are dying. Those tomato vines, they're dead. They're not going to come back next year. But a lot of the plants that look like they're dying, they're not really dying at all. They're just going back down into their roots. And so this is a time for root medicine. 
And that also brings me to the song of praise for the weeds. Because it's the the time when the gardener says, ah, the garden is shutting down. Not much happening in the garden. The basil is gone. Tomatoes are gone. All the squashes and and all of those things are gone, gone now. And maybe a few little hearty things continuing on like the kale or the collards. Kale, yeah. Dards. Right. And the weeds, too. And so many of the weeds really like it at this time of the year. The chickweed is really happy at this time of the year and is growing more lavishly. The motherwort is growing more lavishly. The ground ivy is really taking over now. It's like, ah, yes, now that my taller neighbors are gone, now I can spread out and have a little space. Many of the wild mints, catnip, and so on are really using this opportunity to put on some growth before the weather gets seriously cold. And I appreciate that about them. As a matter of fact, I wrote about them very briefly. Um, And not even all of them, but many of the plants that are out and about now and available to us in in the easing that's just out this week. And um, you can always go to wisewomanmentor.com and check out the easing. Where often there's a walk celebrating the plants of the season and what we're doing with them. With the, I said, with the death of the animals at this season, we also circle around to something else that I've been writing about, and that's right. I've been writing about using herbs in oil bases. Most of us are very familiar with herbal ointments and herbal salves. And they're generally quite popular. And I find that I use them less and less. And I make them less and less. It used to be in fact, for many years, that really I only made herbal oils <clears throat> when I had classes where I was expected to make an herbal oil. <clears throat> and that I would only make herbal oils because I give the apprentices herbal oils. And now it's come down to really just about the only herbal oils that I make are plantain oil and oil of hypericum. And I see that it's very difficult to make herbal oils, especially if you use fresh plant material. And I think that fresh plant material always gives better results. So I want to use fresh plant material, but fresh plant material has water in it, and water and oil do not go together well. And so with some plants, like with comfrey leaf, or with chickweed, there's a really strong rancidity that can set in as an interaction between the oil that you're infusing and the water that's in the plant. And so in order to really make a good oil from those plants, 
you usually have to pour your oil out every two or three weeks and put it over fresh plant material before that fermentation and oil water weirdness starts to take effect. <clears throat> Letting it sit for six full weeks can, can result in some pretty stinky things. And there is always the question of should the oil be in the sun or should the oil be kept in the shade? And many books and many people that I know like to put their oils in the sun. I don't like to put my oils in the sun. I guess because I came to herbs through food rather than coming to food through herbs, which means that my initial training was in food and food handling. My parents were restaurateurs. I grew up in restaurants. I grew up around large quantities of food and had to preserve those large quantities of food and use them in a wise fashion. And one of the rules drummed into me, since I certainly was knee-high to a grasshopper, was you don't put your oil in the sunlight. You don't put your oil near heat. You keep your oil not refrigerated, but in the coolest, darkest place that you can find in your kitchen. I always used to tease my mom for keeping her oil under the sink. I said, Mom, that's where people keep their trash. She says, well, that's where I keep my oil because it is the coolest, darkest place in my in my kitchen. You find a cooler, darker place, and I'll be happy to move it. And we had a good laugh together about keeping oil cool and dark, even if it means keeping it under the sink. So I never like to put my herbal oils out in the sun or to heat them up. But almost all the instructions that I've ever read for making herbal oils include putting them in the sun and or heating them up. And I saw then that also in these recipes, they would then instruct people to add a preservative of some kind, usually vitamin E, sometimes essential oils. And I thought, oh, yes, because you've made the oil rancid. You've made the oil rancid by heating it. You've made the oil rancid by exposing it to the sun. Now, I soon learned to recommend that people use pure olive oil rather than extra virgin olive oil so that if they decided to put their oils in the sun or to heat their oils, the pure oil, the pure olive oil is far more stable than the other oils. And, of course, it's fun to use a lot of different kinds of oils in making herbal oils, and it's one of the reasons to make them yourself. But most of those oils, again, are very prone to rancidity. And it's difficult to make a tiny enough amount to use before the oil goes rancid. Many of them even may come to the market rancid. You can see why I was kind of squirming and uncomfortable. Not really happy with what was going on with making herbal oils. And also my students were having terrible times. Many of the herbal oils, especially if they're made with fresh plant material, will kind of ooze as you make them. Like I mentioned, that I make plantain oil and hypericum oil. When I do that, I put the plant in a jar Fill the jar to the top with oil, put a lid on it, label the lid, and then put that in a bowl because I know that the jar is going to ooze. 
the plantain is going to ooze quite a bit because even though it feels like a dry and leathery leaf, there is some moisture in it that is going to interact and kind of bubble up. The hypericum oil, the St. John's wort oil, far less, but still there is going to be some leakage. And if you don't put your infusing oil in a bowl, it's going to leak on things. It's going to stain things. One of my students put her oils on shelves behind her stove, and they all ran and leaked so much that she actually had to have that wall of her house torn down and replaced because it became a fire hazard since it was behind the stove. So when I was working on the breast health book, and it being October, let's give a bow to breast health and remember that uh, the health of our breasts is literally in our own hands. When I was doing research for that book, I went more deeply into the work of Hildegard of Bingen, a truly remarkable woman, and uh, someone you probably know about. Well, there's an awful lot of, um, I think, bad information out there, too, about um, breast cancer and you know, but working in a health food store that I do now, you'd be amazed the crazy theories I hear about a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do. I get all kinds of stuff. I mean, I, I don't even know sometimes. I try to keep things simple. You know, I try to keep things very simple. We do have an apothecary section. So I, I, I sort of say, um, hey, I, you know, let's go to the herbal section. Uh, they have pretty good whole food supplements too. I mean, I know that's a big debate, what people think the effectiveness of those. And I sort of lead them to the simple um, section for things and, you know, where it's one herb or a couple of ingredients or a blend made by the local herbalist. So they have that as well. But um, I do know what you mean about all these debates that go on all the time about oils, essential oils. Uh, and I know you have an opinion where you think maybe they're a little too strong, some of the essential oils, almost like a drug. Uh, I've, I've had some success. I've had success with lavender oil before. But anyway, I wasn't trying to drift too far from the topic. Uh, it's not like a drug. They are drugs. And, of course, drugs work. Of course you'll have success with them. Right. Drugs work. If somebody were to say to me, well, I've had success with aspirin, I would say, of course you have. A means from spirea is a plant. Aspirin is a drug made from a compound found in a plant. How do we make aspirin from spirea? By extracting the compound, concentrating the compound, and purifying the compound. Plant constituents can be turned into drugs by extraction, concentration, and purification, which is exactly what we do with volatile oils from plants to turn them into essential oils. They're not like drugs. They are drugs, just like aspirin. You don't need a prescription for aspirin. You don't need a prescription for essential oils, but they are both drugs. Yes. And And I think it's a little beyond and I think it's a fact. Right. It might lack the synergistic effects of another approach, too. But my opinion is that using essential oils is one of the worst things we can do for the planet. Now, that's an opinion. Okay. <laughs> An essential oil is a drug is a fact. Right. 
Right. So, and drugs work. Of course you're going to have good results with drugs. Drugs are very effective. It's why we like drugs. But I'm talking more about specifically uh, herbs infused in oils, which has a very long recorded history. And so when I was researching for the breast book, I looked into the herbal advice of Hildegard of Bingen. And she recommended that certain herbs be put into the fat of a young male goat. And she specified what part of the body this fat should be taken from. And it was as though the whole sky lit up. And I realized, as things came together to show me the whole picture, that, of course, all the recipes for making infused herbs included heating the oil because people weren't using oil. They were using animal fat. And in order to make animal fat liquid, you have to heat it. And when people went from using animal fat to using oil, which is fairly recently, except for olive oil, the vast majority of oils in current use, especially in America, are newly on the market within the past 50 years. So herbalists didn't use oil. They used animal fats. And that put a whole new slant on why people had to get it hot because animal fats are solid at room temperature but liquid at body temperature. In this way, we also don't have to go from herb infused in oil, add beeswax, make an ointment. We simply infuse the herb into the animal fat by warming them gently together. And then while the fat is still liquid, we can strain the herb out of it. And the fat will be solid at room temperature without having to add anything to it. We don't have to add any preservative to it because animal fats stay fine. They don't go rancid when gently heated. Certainly, if heated at a very high temperature, we can cause rancidity in an animal fat. But we're talking about a very low temperature is all that's needed, 120 degrees, 130 degrees, very low temperatures, in order to infuse herb into oil. There have also been reports, they're fairly rare, but there have been reports of people uh, putting a herbal ointment with beeswax on it on open sores in which the beeswax in the ointment sealed the sore and allowed anaerobic oxygen-fearing bacteria to grow in that wound like tetanus. So... I've also had a few kind of, shall we say, funny things happen to me with herbal oils and ointments. Uh, when I used to carry around everything I thought that I would need and didn't trust the universe so much, I was once tapped on the shoulder by a woman following me off an airplane um, who said to me, dear, your bag is dripping. And sure enough, a bottle of some kind of infused oil had opened up 
in my suitcase. What a terrible, terrible mess it made. So certainly an ointment is better for traveling around with than a bottle of oil. And an ointment in animal fat, how interesting. Not only that, Hildegard specified the place on the animal's body that the fat would come from. When I do hands-on anatomy with the apprentices, we notice that the kidneys are completely surrounded by fat. <clears throat> the kidneys are like on a little air bed or in a little foam cushion. The fat cushions the kidneys. And we see that the ovaries are surrounded by fat and that there's fat in the abdomen around the testicles. And that is indeed what Hildegard specified was the fat from around the testicles, which in a male goat is in the belly, the belly fat of a young male goat, so that they would have a lot of testosterone in an ointment to be applied against breast cancer. And it is thought that testosterone is an antagonist to estrogen. Hildegard probably wouldn't have used the words that I'm using or thought about hormones the way we're thinking about hormones, but she had an inherent understanding of what was going on. And, of course, the fat from around the kidneys has cortisone in it because the kidneys make cortisol. And that fat then, as an ointment, would and could be used instead of cortisone creams with far less damage. There are many specialized and localized fats in the animals' bodies, as well as different fats from different animals. I know that the people around me don't make much use of the deer fat because they say it's too hard. And there are quite a few herbal jokes about people infusing herbs into bear fat and the rank smell of the bear fat. And whether or not the herbs are effective or whether it is just the horrible smell of the bear fat. <laughs> so these are some, some things for us to think about during these days of the dead, during the time when the veil between the world thins and the farmer has to say, I'm going to give death to these animals and I'm going to take this fat from these animals and I'm going to make these ointments to help me through the inevitable injuries to my flesh and that being in the world uh, visits upon me. What are you going to be this Halloween? Me? I think I'm going to attempt to be a musician, <laughs> as I already am. <laughs> I thought maybe yeah, I'd go to the animals armed in most of this unless I eat a burger <laughs> during the show. <laughs> I thought I would. I thought I would be a witch. There is that, which reminds There's me, you were that. talking about animals. How about I have a flying. wonderful collection of witches hats, and my granddaughter gave me a beautiful glittery, feathery mask to wear as well. So I look forward to it. I hear that the Halloween party we're going to there's going to be brownie bones. Hmm. And ghost songs. Brownie bones. Brownie bones sounds good. <laughs> and with that, we have come to the end of our time once again. Thank you so much for chatting with me, giving me this space 
to relax on Tuesday evening and to remind people that herbal medicine is people's medicine. It's the medicine that grows right outside your door, yes, even during Halloween and the Day of the Dead. Green blessings. Good night. All right, and good night. And, of course, all this talk of animal fat and herbs makes me think of a in witches makes me think of perhaps you can find an old flying potion somewhere, a <laughs> flying ointment. <laughs> oh, indeed, indeed. There's a back issue of Llewellyn's Herbal Almanac where I have an entire article on various flying potions. Oh, that's what got me into the metaphysical dance was out-of-body experiences and, you know, intense, you know, like so many people, intense lucid dreams, out-of-body experiences, all that kind of thing, you know. Occasionally seeing the thing out of the corner of your eye. This is the perfect time of year for that. Also a good time of year for divination. You know, if you want to flip a card or something, this is a great time of year for that. But thank Indeed you again. Indeed it is to help to get help from the ancestors. Yes, well put, well put. And thank you again and green blessings to you. And thanks to everyone out there listening. You've been listening to Green Magic, Green Medicine with Susan Weed. We'll be back I think next week, right, uh, at 10 p.m. Eastern week, time? Week, absolutely. Yes, okay. same time. Making sure there wasn't a, a day off somewhere there. <laughs> nope. And nope. There will be, but I'll I... let you know. It's coming up in December. All right. Okay. So we'll be week 10 p.m. Eastern time, and I'm starting to learn how to use the new computer, so I might incorporate more images and things like that. Uh, it's been a, a slow go as my original computer crashed, but you were listening to Green Magic, Green Medicine with Susan Weed, the herbalist. She's been doing it a long time, knows what she's talking about. I also like how she uses a lot of just basic North American plants and all that. And all those things we throw away, like dandelion and all that kind of stuff. You know, one of the strongest, most healthy plants in the world, people just get rid of it and, you know, throw it outside. But anyway, have a great evening, everyone. And we will see you again next week at 10 p.m. Eastern Time here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network.
Archaeology, Forgotten History, Divination, Magic, Cryptozoology, UFOs, Nature, Science, and Spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.